0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: It's coming up to 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Lynn. First up, we look at the tiny homes movement and whether it'd work here in Malaysia.
0: So, this comes because recently there was a a tweet that went somewhat viral from an article that was quite popular, um, essentially looking at Atika Nadia Zailani, who uh, is a Stanford grad who chose to build a 530 square foot tiny home in the outskirts of KL. And that kind of prompted a bunch of conversation because overall it was around 300,000 ringgit. And so people were asking, well, why build a tiny home for for that amount of money when you could build a not-so-tiny, medium-sized home instead? Um, And that prompted a a larger conversation, not least on our show, actually, about the value of these things, including a very interesting message from uh, Katrina when we covered it previously, saying that essentially the repackaging of tiny homes like a cool futuristic thing is problematic, especially when you think about it in terms of the deprivation of space for privacy, families, uh, multi-generational families, communal living and so on in communities that aren't so privileged. Um, Basically, when we compare the small houses that are available to poor and lower income families in comparison to tiny homes that people choose instead to build and live in. So we're going to try and unpack both
1: aspects of this, right? The uh, appeal of tiny homes, this idea of downsizing, leaving a smaller carbon footprint, in general, the opposite of living large, uh, but also how to do this in a way that takes into account people's needs, uh, the element of choice, um, and really the larger ecosystem within which these homes will then exist. So we would like to hear from you. Would you live in a tiny home? You can call 777 900 WhatsApp 0187. 018- Seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is Johnson Oei, founder and chief officer at Epic Collective. They are a platform that develops community-based housing solutions. Johnson, welcome to the show. So first off, talk to us about the tiny house movement, particularly in terms of how it might apply here in Malaysia.
2: I think first of all, we still have a lot of space here in Malaysia. You know, so part of the tiny homes movement is where a lot of them come from really like tight urban spaces and. And so they're looking to build smaller. But I think that in Malaysia, we still have a lot of land available and it's also still affordable as well. I think that how it's applicable is really where people are looking to live with less. You know, there's a group of people who are, they don't want to live a consumeristic lifestyle uh, and they want to live closer to nature. In Malaysia, we're surrounded by beautiful jungles and natural features. I also see that There are perhaps groups of friends where they buy a piece of land and then they build for communal living. So their homes are small, but then they pool the resources together to have shared amenities. Yeah, so I think that's kind of how it's currently relevant, but it's still very new here in in Malaysia and still growing.
0: So there are a lot of reasons uh, why people want to participate in the tiny home movement, including to lessen one's environmental footprint or to downsize. What are some of the main drivers you're hearing about locally?
2: First of all, I think you, you see people who appreciate nature, they feel like the city is too congested and the outdoor lifestyle suits them better. So I think at this point in time, you hear a lot about how some people are really tired of just being overwhelmed by the, the city itself. You know, so I think that's just really one of the factors. Another is where I think there's a rising cost of living and the commitment needed to own a home where you go into 30 years of debt to own a house. And, and most of the houses around KL is about perhaps about 500,000 ringgit. And so people are seeking for alternative for housing where it doesn't require such a long period of debt and, and commitment. I think other than that, you know, like the whole thing about self-expression, you know, people don't want to buy and spend money getting to debt and buy cookie cutter houses. Uh, they still want to have the power to choose and, and customize how they want to live. And at the same time, I think we see more and more young people these days who want to live uh, independently, you know, where they're child-free or they're always travel-ready, you know. So any at the drop of a hat, they want to fly here and fly there, uh, they can do it. You know, we're starting to see more of these sort of values into Malaysia. And I think that that kind of translates to a tiny house. Apart from that, recently with COVID especially, a lot of people were cooped up in a house during MCO. I think it made us reevaluate, oh my goodness. I mean, of course, some people are privileged to be cooped up in houses that were big enough for all the family members. But I'm sure an equal or more amount of people were probably cooped up in a place where it's like it's too packed and uh, you can't really walk out your door. Whereas, you know, in the case of those who are living in tiny houses in in such uh, situations, I uh, to just go out uh, breathe fresh air, you know, take a stroll around nature and, and so on.
1: And on the flip side then, what are the challenges that people need to be prepared for when considering the shift to a tiny house?
2: Um, I, I think definitely the need to Marie Kondo your life. You need to downsize. But I mean, think that, that is really part of the whole lifestyle of, of living in a tiny home. You know, but I think it's always going to be a challenge as well, especially moving from the way most of us live We're a little bit more consumeristic. We usually have a lot of space to keep a lot of things or even hoard uh, things as well. But I think in order to make this transition, one must really be very committed and and ready to downsize their lives and and live with less. Then again, I mean, it's a great way to practice a zero-waste, sustainable lifestyle.
0: So what sort of mindset shift does need to happen though, especially when you're paring down in terms of things like amenities and storage space?
2: Yeah, so so I think there's a need to pursue living with less. You really need to get into that sort of mindset, and I think that's reflected in how you determine your storage spaces because you won't have much space to store things. Uh, so you have to be very very efficient. I think most of your spaces would need to have multiple usage, you know. So you won't have a dedicated space to sleep, to work, to uh, entertain your guests. Uh, you probably have a bedroom that turns into your office or your living space that is also your kitchen. So these are, I think, some of the things that you need to change. I think that kind of makes the process and the experience a fun one. The creativity uh, and the process of brainstorming, how do you actually use spaces efficiently, is, is part of what makes this fun as well.
1: And if you live in Malaysia and are interested in this concept, how do you go about it? Like, What are the first steps to take?
2: Right. I think first of all, most importantly, you have to find a piece of land. And typically, whether whether it's in the city or the outskirts, but I think most likely you want to find it in the um, outskirts. And next is to find a team of consultants, whether it's architects, engineers, who I think understand what you're trying to do because it's still a relatively new concept. I think it'd be pretty important to find uh, architects, engineers, or designers uh, who are willing to pursue this journey with you. And this team would then help navigate whatever difficulties that may come up. I think there are some things that you probably need to be creative with and you need to still discover when it comes to authority regulations or in getting the right approvals from the right authorities. I think it's not as straightforward as building in the, in the city. And also they might be not used to some of these uh, designs and models and I think you would need a team that's willing to explain and work out the case with, with the authorities as well. Having this team is also super important to kind of encourage you along the way. I think at this point in time, you're still doing pioneering work in, in Malaysia. In regards to getting the right architects and engineers or builders, uh, it's important to find people who are comfortable building in the outskirts or building in rural areas. Because a lot of times, you know, contractors may be used to building around the city, you know, or on land that's been flattened out uh, really well. But in this particular case, you know, along with their lifestyle of living in a tiny home, uh, you also want to disrupt nature less as well. you know. So you wouldn't be uh, cutting down all the trees around and just flattening the land. But you need a team that is comfortable in building around the elements that you can find as well. I would advise that anybody who's interested in pursuing this, they can find more information on a group on Facebook called the Tiny House Malaysia. I think they were close to 200,000 members at this point in time. It's a very proactive group and I think you can kind of shoot any questions that you have the community is very willing to share ideas and, and experiences.
0: You kind of touched on this a little bit, uh, but what is the difference between building a tiny home in a rural area compared to an urban setting?
2: One, one clear difference is really the cost of construction. Basically, your land prices in urban areas and the cost of construction in rural areas are inversely related. In urban areas, your land costs will cost a lot more, but your, your construction costs might cost a, a bit less uh, because your roads are proper, you know, everything is nearby. Um, whereas in rural areas, the land costs may be cheaper, but because there may not be proper roads, uh, there may not be certain amenities place, in place, and all your suppliers may be further away, it might increase your cost of construction. But of course, a tiny home is small, you know, so it wouldn't incur that much cost to, to begin with. Apart from that, when it comes to the city as well, I think when building and designing for the city, it's really about space maximization, where you want to stop the urban sprawl and and kind of reserve valuable land for more important things like green spaces or community spaces. And so a lot of times you want to focus on building upwards within urban areas, whereas in the rural areas, you got a little bit more space. At the same time, when building your house, I think most times you'll find that you won't be able to plug into infrastructure with utility services like electricity and water. And so there would be a little bit more investment that you have to put in for off-grid systems, you know, like TV, solar panels, uh, or other alternative energy solutions.
1: So we've covered before the story of Atika Nadia Zailani, who built a tiny home in uh, outskirts of Kuala Lumpur, and you were involved in that project. Now, the cost of a home, roughly three hundred thousand ringgit, has been generating a fair amount of conversation. Could you help us break down that amount? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been noticing the comments online. A lot of people are like, oh, why is it so expensive? And is that all you can get at $300,000? I, I think that uh, a lot of them were maybe a bit overzealous in jumping to conclusions. So a lot of them are comparing to a city where, oh, you know, I, I can buy a house for 300000 as well. You know, why is it that this tiny house is only 300000 But what they're not taking into account is that she owns the land. She owns, an, uh, in this case, an acre. There is the customization of the design and the construction of the house. There are sustainable systems in place. That's her energy and her water, which, you know, over time, it would really save her. She doesn't have to pay for electricity and water. It also includes all the furnishing that she has inside her house and also other miscellaneous costs as well. So, you know, when, when you buy a house, say, for, from a developer, a lot of times it may not come with all those items. Uh, you might buy a bare house with all the walls, but you still have to spend for whatever renovations that you want, all the furniture that you'll put in, you know. So so there's all these different costs, actually, that that comes into into play. And, of course, you know, with that building on that one piece of land, you're not counting the value of the things that you can actually do on the land as well. You know, so if you, let's say, you buy a house, $200,000 give you a small condo, that's not going to give you space to farm, to produce your own food, for example, or to be able to run around or to be able to build perhaps other things as well in the future when you when you want to. In this particular case, she has all those options as well.
0: So at the moment, would you say that tiny houses are affordable for all segments of the market?
2: Um, I don't think so. Not at this point in time. I think there's still a very budding movement. I don't think there are any players that are doing this at large scales. So we haven't quite reached economies at scale at this point in time. You know, So everything's still a custom job. As you understand, naturally, a custom job usually would cost a little bit more money as well. Um, so at this juncture, tiny houses are really being pursued by more middle to upper income groups in Malaysia. It's people who perhaps have the means to do it as a weekend getaway or their retirement home or young professionals who have the means to do so, who are willing to sacrifice that convenience. Perhaps not sacrifice, but they're giving up their convenience, but for another type of lifestyle that they want to move towards.
1: So are there ways in which they could be affordable? What are some means by which this issue of budget can be managed?
2: Yeah, I think it's still definitely a challenge for people of low-income groups to afford this because, you know, we're not just talking about the house costs, but we're also talking about the land costs as well. They would also have to buy the land. Of course, if people already have their own land, like their own Waka for, or Felda or even Orang Asli people, they have their own land. Then we're just talking about the home costs alone. But that usually also comes with sustainable systems and normally those are pretty costly as well. So it's still not super accessible. But there are means to manage the budget. Perhaps you can consider like a rent to own scheme, uh, or we can look at building clusters of tiny homes, like a tiny home village, um, where we can really leverage off the benefits of communal living while still enjoying their own privacy, where we can look at uh, pulling the money together to create common infrastructure facilities, such as your water, your sewerage, your electricity. You know, so you're not spending this alone. Uh, but you're taking a fraction out of whatever capital that you have and sharing it with the other residents as well. I think uh, apart from that, I think one of the things that we've always been quite curious in exploring within Epic Homes uh, is when we built for Ashley as well, the modular system that we have, technically it can be incrementally expanded, you know, meaning that you build as you grow. So the idea is that using a design with a similar language and using that modular system, You could be a young couple right now, so two people in a family, and maybe you build a smaller unit. The amount of capital that is required at the beginning is a lot smaller. Uh, But over time, if your family grows, uh, because it uses a similar modular uh, design language, uh, you can purchase the next module or unit and then expand it either upwards or horizontally as well.
0: So part of why we're having this conversation with you today, um, a few weeks on, right, is because a message came in from a listener, Katrina, comparing the discourse around tiny homes, you know, basically as something desirable or an active choice that's being made, with the small homes that the urban poor have to live in. How can we talk about the value of smaller living spaces while keeping in mind that it isn't necessarily a solution to the housing crisis and with sensitivity to the people who don't have a choice in the matter?
2: I think that the last statement is where we need to emphasize and that's that having the choice in this participating in the tiny homes movement requires choice a commitment to a new way of living they're actively making a choice which requires certain sacrifices as well that we've spoken about earlier in this segment whereas if you were to compare this to people who are less fortunate or who are marginalized and are not able to take advantage perhaps of the opportunities around them and as a result end up in uh, a smaller house. It's a totally different conversation actually that needs to take place. You know, and I think the key differentiator really is this power to choose. So when you look at the housing crisis, I, I always say this in the work that we do with Epic Homes, the house is really just a symptom of a more deeply rooted issue where the people that live in these inadequate houses are really stuck in a vicious cycle of of poverty. You know, and I think that needs to be addressed uh, separately. It's not just a matter of the size of the house itself. Yeah, so in in this particular case, a home has never been about just four walls. It's not just about uh, providing physical safety. We're also talking about psychological safety and even more so the feeling of comfort, security and issues of dignity and, and pride as well. Someone like Atika, for example, who has gone through the process of downsizing, purchasing the land, uh, and then going through the design process and having the ability to build it with her friends, she would look at her house with a lot of pride, although it's small. But uh, on the other hand, those that are less fortunate, who are living in small houses, it will be a totally different experience and it's a totally different symbol to them. They will look at a small house and say, I'm stuck in this place because I have no choice. I think the issue that we need to address needs to be focused on the people instead and how do we get them to a point where they can make their own choices and not be distracted with the symptoms of poverty like, you know, having a smaller house or or not.
1: Johnson, what would you like to leave us with?
2: I, I think that the tiny homes movement is still something that's really new. But I think something that's really core to the Malaysian culture is community. And I think that, Although the tiny homes movement might seem like a foreign idea, I think that there are merits, in the new designs and being more self-sustainable and how it applies to our local context. But I think that we can merge it with what we're already very strong at in Asia or in, in Malaysia. And that's like community living. Uh, and I think through community living, there's a means to kind of like meet that balance, you know, between a kampung house and living in a city. You know, where the kampung has that semangat gotong royong and the city is almost, you live in isolation from people. Through the Tiny Hopes Movement, there's a way to create like a contemporary kampung idea, you know, that's very unique to our local context as well. You know, how a lot of young people these days are perhaps struggling to own their own house. And I am personally, and I, I suppose to just shoot and plant a seed out there, you know, to whoever that's listening that, you know, I think this is something that we should explore. You know, where through shared amenities, shared spaces, we're still able to have a quality lifestyle and have all the things that we need, but at the same time, be able to be environmentally friendly and live a sustainable lifestyle. Yeah, so I I think that's that's basically all I have to add. But with that, I just want to say thank you as well for this opportunity.
1: Johnson, thanks for speaking with us. That was Johnson Owe, Founder and Chief Officer at Epic Collective, a platform that develops community-based housing solutions, uh, speaking to us about tiny homes, um, what goes into uh, the whole process, really, from the physical aspects to the budgeting aspects, and um, whether... How, rather, to implement them here in Malaysia? We'd like to hear from you. Would you live in a tiny home? You can call 777 WhatsApp 018-789-8899, tweet us at BFM Radio.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my, BFM 89.9, The Business Station.